Welcome back, guys, to Behind the Beef podcast brought to you by the Parker County Beef Company. We're here for our second episode. Uh, we had really good feedback last time. We relaunched this podcast with Rob. We're back for our second episode. This, this is my dad, Shane. He is a third-generation cattle rancher here at the Parker County Beef Company. So we hope you guys enjoy this episode. We're going to talk about all things, the history of the ranch, and probably get some funny stories along the way. Okay, so Shane, we started this off last week with Rob. We asked the same kind of question, but give us a brief rundown um, of how you to this table today. So that could be your personal life, where you were born. Let the people of the internet know who you are and how you got here today. The fact that I made it here today is is um, unique because I put it off as long as I can because the camera is not of uh, my strength. But Bryson loves being in front of the camera, and that's his question to everybody. So um, where I've made it today is, one, short, I can't give, I can't go forward without giving credit to God and blessing our family like he has because I realize that's truly where it comes from. Uh, but we've taken a lot of lessons and a lot of different avenues to get where we've gotten today. Going back to high school, brother and I were always involved in the ag team, judging team, and we thought it was normal experience to go help Papa and Dad work cows, catch cows, uh, hear them say bad words over and over, and then we would go eat lunch somewhere. So uh, it we did that, and... Papa and Dad had a herd that we helped, and I remember sometime early high school, uh, Brian and I decided to get a loan from the bank of one to build credit, but back then we thought, hey, we want our own cows. So we each took, I think it was around $10,000 each on a loan set up to purchase cattle. That actually bought us 10 pairs back then. Um, early 90s. I don't, it's a lot different nowadays, but we we started out that and we would use the calves to pay for that and uh, slowly grow our herd to what we've done today. Um, sometime about late high school, uh, we decided to purchase our own tractors and hay equipment and try to control some of our input costs at that time and have a little more control over when we could get hay and the amount of hay that we can get. Uh, back then, I remember we started out $11 a bale is what we got to charge for the custom work, and it's what helped pay for our cost um, to raise our own hay on the farm. Used to, um, back then, we our custom farming was 60% of our income it's gotten where the area around here and, and just from the cost of everything, it's now where our hay and our equipment is basically for our farm. So we run it. 90% um, of the stuff we put up is for ourselves. Uh, we go, we've, what you, what I've learned over the last, it's been 20 plus years, 30 plus years is you you have to be willing to change. Um, everything changes around you, and if you're dead set on this is the way I've done it and this way I'm always going to do it uh, in this fast-paced world that even affects farming and ranching now, you will fall way behind. So that's that's what's got me here 
in front of a camera now explaining where I started. Bryson has brought in a lot of uh, new aspect to what Brian and I considered business that uh, seems to be taking over anybody's business, no matter if you're selling of uh, basketballs or beef, you're forced into the social media realm. I agree with that. Some are forced a little bit uh, more firmly than others, and some volunteer. So I'm, I think maybe after Shane, I'm running out of willing volunteers here, so I don't know if we're going to have to come up with some kind of incentive uh, to do the podcast or how we're going to continue to get guests on here, but hey, I guess we'll cross that line. I'd be willing to bet a dollar, maybe a dollar fifty, that you're not going to get Brian in front of the camera. Okay. So that sounds like a challenge here for the podcast. Um, we're going to see how much money we can raise to convince Brian to, to be on the podcast. We've got $1.50. Shane's going to start the seed, seed round. We're well short if it stays anywhere below four digits, I promise. Okay. So that you guys heard it here. We're going to need a big beef week. And I'm going to need everybody who orders beef in the foreseeable future to leave that order comment of, we want to see Brian on the podcast. So drop those comments. Tell Brian that we need him here on the podcast to get his cattle expertise. So I took a couple notes from that, Shane, that I will bring up here as we, um, as we move forward. But talked to Rob, too, and it was cool to see he even had some insights of things that he and Sherman had changed since you know the mid-60s to today. And one of the things he brought up that uh, we're still dealing with is just the way that we built our lots and the, the things that we have to keep in mind now that maybe we're doing things a little bit different on the back end. Uh, you know, he said they used to build them out of cedar posts and one by sixes. And then we kind of moved to the, the metal pipe. But even now, uh, like he said, you get some of these 1500 and, and 1600 pound steers that are finished. They just don't fit. I mean, we've designed a lot of our pins to fit you know, 900 pound cow or a 400 pound calf. And, uh, you know, we learned real quick when you, you get a 1500 pound steer trying to go down a 900 pound alleyway, it's a square peg round hole scenario. So, uh, the, everything that we do now is kind of had to make a change to one degree or another of, I guess all ending up the same result making, making what we do safe and efficient as we change over to, to finishing these steers out. Um, so take us back you and Brian, I have a lot of early memories, you know, when I would say we were doing a lot of work around the ranch, but some early memories and things that you and Brian have together, starting off uh, the hay baling and the cows. And, and I think you worked with Sherman as well, right? Y'all got to work side by side with them? We did. They, um, they both had outside jobs. Uh, my grandfather would spend his evenings and his weekends uh, around their cows and we as a kid back then growing up riding around in the back of a pickup from place to place you never thought you thought it was just um, normal business but we would go and it was it was you call it a hobby but it's what what we did between that and then our free time was hunting or fishing or riding horses uh, we just thought that was part of life so that's how we did it uh, you 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 talk about the lot and stuff. We still have, and you'll have to get a picture of it, but there's a five-foot-tall or four-and-a-half-foot-tall alleyway that was built, no telling how many man-hours and metal 
that is just a pretty much a wall now because our steers won't fit down it. So we had to re revamp that years ago. But you can see it's built out of four inch post with graded metal. And it's not used except for, I think it holds an electric extension cord across the top above everything is its purpose now. But changing, yeah, we did that. I remember traveling lease place to lease place going with Papa and Dad. And uh, they had, back then, they would have 20 cows here and 30 cows here. Uh, it, it helps now that we have our cows more uh, concentrated. It makes it easier for Brian feeding and taking care of them, catching and working. Uh, but short of, of numbers, it's still um, the same thing. Yeah, I think what Rob touched on is essentially we're changing the last maybe third quarter of the process. But as far as what we do, except for you know a few things rotational-wise and realizing we're having to carry some of these yearlings through the winter on wheat, for the most part, the farming and the ranching has mm -hmm. stayed the same. Now, our infrastructure and our needs and our logistics and fulfillment here has obviously changed. Um, but take me back. So one thing I pulled out of your intro there is you guys charged $11 a bale for custom hay bales. Yeah. So do you remember, just give us a round number, what a, a gallon of diesel cost at that time? We, we had diesel, we bought diesel trucks back then and we could get farm diesel for 24 cents a gallon. And at the store, you would have to pay 70 cents a gallon. So, and that's a big ratio. It was 50 cents tax, and the tax people can figure it out now. But I think they've narrowed the gap on that compared to today. Uh, I'm sure it's not the same rate as what we get paid, but I'm sure. So, some, listen to that. He, he kind of touches on what I said last week, where as farmers, right, and Larry commented on the video and he clarified my quote a little bit because I said, hey, we're one of the few industries where we buy all of our inputs retail and then all of our outlets are wholesale. And then Larry added on there, yeah, and, and you pay freight both ways. Um, but think of that, back in the mid-90s? Early late, 90s. Early 90s. Late 80s. Diesel was 25 cents a gallon um, and they were charging $11 a bale. Well, in 30 years, the price of a, us to do custom hay work went to $32 a bale. So it went up three times. And you look that diesel has went up 20 times. In the last three to five years alone, net wrap has went up 40, 50, 60%. So just the 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 trend is that it's getting harder, right? For, Absolutely. For, for those guys, because the inputs, there's no ceiling, it seems like, whereas the markets are kind of fixed. So that leads into, again, why... We kicked around the idea several years of keeping, maybe keeping a few back, trying the retail operations. And then I think we had a conversation last year. We said, hey, we'll, we'll try to finish some out and see how it goes. And that's how we ended up at this table today talking about our beef company. So any other stories you have with Brian or anything from growing up in, in the farming and ranching side or cool things that you can tell us about your history here at the ranch? I've, you know, a story as far as feeding out calves. It was normal. Papa and Dad always kept a, um, a a calf on feed for for our family. Uh, we would divide it up at the end of the year or every six months, um, depending on what it lasted. But it got where Papa always picked us up from school, high school, 
and our friends knew that we had a steer that was seven, eight hundred pounds, and we knew that Papa dropped us off at the house and went home. So I went and ran his chores. So that gave us a couple hours to do, uh, to get in trouble basically. But it worked for months. Papa would feed this calf out, and they their goal was for to get it to gain. And he would complain about it not gaining, but what he didn't know until he showed back up one one day about 30 minutes after he dropped us off is friends from high school would come over and we'll leave names out so they don't get drawn into it. But we saw a pickup that looked like Papa's pickup. At the same time, we would take the steer and put it in the big lot and we would take turns, see who could ride it the longest. We have video of it, but it is on cassette tape. And it doesn't last very long. We'll see if we can find it and Bryson can convert it for you. But we would ride it. And when he caught us, we didn't know what direction to go. He wasn't happy with us. and didn't say very many words. But we knew after that point that we weren't going to be riding the steers anymore. Yeah, they um, couldn't figure out why that daily gain on that steer was kind of plateauing there. And as kids, you don't think about that. You think, well, hey, parents are going to supply us with food. We'll have hamburgers. We'll just, we'll ride them in between, I guess. But we learned. Y'all just viewed it as he was getting a workout in there as well. Yeah, well, there were some big kids on him, so he did get a workout. Yeah, you. I think that video, I've seen the video several times in my lifetime, so we'll see if we can find that. Probably won't cut it in here, but we may post it as a separate YouTube video and cut you having the, telling the story in here in front of that. So lots of ranching, right? You grew up much like I did. It's just what you did, right? Your, your summers... Uh, you know, most kids, what are you going to do this summer? And these kids, I'm going to sit around and I'm going to watch this or I'm going to play the, the new PlayStation game. And that just wasn't the reality. Yeah. Uh, I, summers uh, for farming and ranching kids, it's not a four-letter word, but uh, it's, it's going to be a little tougher, I think, than your traditional one because it's, I guess, free labor you get for four months out of the year. It's not free. I always looked at it as you had a place to live. And Close. you had clothes for school. That's true. So it wasn't necessarily free. And you learned to drive at a young age, right? By the time you get to where it's time to legally drive down the road. Yeah, uh, several years you're, before. You're an expert. Uh, I, I learned to drive on a Massey Ferguson 245. Yeah. Um, and it when I, when I say learn to drive, that's a, it's a pretty aggressive advance on the word there because it was more like, Here's this, you push this to go, and you, you push this to stop, and they just kind of turn you loose. But, you know, it was a 100-acre hayfield. There's not a lot you and can you do And you had wrong. trails to follow. Yeah, for the most part. Set out. Um, what they didn't tell me, and I vividly remember this as a little kid, is that I was told that the cl you had the clutch, and I think I understood the clutch worked, and then I, we had the brakes, and I think I understood that that worked. Um, but I never was told before I was put on the tractor for the first time that you had to push the clutch and then the brakes. Yeah. So I spent, without exaggerating, the greater part of 30 to 45 minutes trying to get this tractor to stop by just manually forcing the brake down as hard as I could as a six or seven year old kid in the middle of this field. And I think by the time I saw the truck entering the field again, I had such a sigh of relief that somebody could help me stop this thing because I was I was stuck on it. Uh, but that is one of the skills you learn is that it's just part of it. Um, you, I think as a, a kid growing up around it, you learn that most people's definition of hard work is not your definition of hard work. 
It's a, um, a whole different level. It really is. Yeah, I, I have a. Uh, I remember I was in high school, and it was during two days. It would have been 2010, 2011. We had a real bad drought. It was the year that there was maybe like 100 days, over 100. It was some crazy heat wave. And the hay, it was so dry and so hot that you would cut the hay and you you had no time, really. You were The clock started as soon as you cut it. So you had to bail it sometimes at night. We spent a lot of nights bailing through the night. Um, but I remember one time we had two days. We had practice in the morning. And so I go, football practice, and I needed to – I think I helped Brian. We had to bail uh, a place there pretty close to the shop. And I bailed the place, and I was like, all I want to do is go take a nap. So I drive the tractor back, and I park it. And I, uh, I get out and I go inside and I lay down on the couch. Well, the next thing I know, my phone is blowing up, blowing up, blowing up. I said, hey, Brian, Brian, what do you want? He goes, what's on fire? I said, Brian, I don't, I don't know what's on fire. I'm in the house. He said, well, go look. Well, I step off the back porch and there's a, a plume of smoke as large as you can see. And uh, yeah, apparently one of those bearings was having a, a rough one. So that was a rough way to get waking up, yeah. woken up, and I, I did not get to enjoy my nap there. But that that was just part of it, right? That doesn't seem that long ago, by the way. It doesn't, but it was 13 years ago. I remember before you got to that, when when we learned that you could drive, and he was at least 12 or 13. This is going to be a good one. I was we not have, 12 or 13. We, have a, we had a remote hay field, and at that time it was really Brian and I that did everything. We didn't know any better. But, but Bryson was someone the extra there that could help when he wasn't in school i was nine or ten we had a truck that was loaded with hay and we we didn't travel that far it might have been seven miles on a farm to market highway farm to market highway legal <laughs> and it was real easy all bryson had to do is stay behind brian that was in front with his hay load and in front of me and the biggest obstacle was we came up to a stop sign leading from Keter to Farm to Market Road. Highway. And I remember Bryson was, he almost locked up at the stop sign. But after some encouragement, he decided to go ahead and pull out and follow Brian. And he did a very good job of it. I mean, he knew how to drive. It was just... Yeah, it was the, just I was nine years old. That was the only thing. The, the fear of driving on hot top, he wasn't used to that yet. Yeah. But he did a great job. And then from that point forward, Brian learned... Bryson can do whatever we just pretend like he can do. That's how he wound up bailing till midnight. And yeah, we made I think there was a lot of that. Hours. You just assume you kind of trial by fire and eventually it all works out. Uh, there's also, they like to tell the story of, um, and I still get reference. I don't know. I'll, I'll drop a picture in here, but the same age, I was seven or eight years old. And I don't know if someone bet me that I couldn't, or if I just decided I want to, to flank one of these calves that weighed Three times what I did at the time. Four times what I did. It was probably a week old yeah, calf. Yeah, okay. Um, well, I went to flank the calf, and I, I, I think he ended up on, I don't know, it was a blur, and he ended up on top of me, and I also got kicked in the face all as one kind of thing. And here I am, 20, this is probably 20-something plus years later, and yeah. it's still a regular story. I don't know why every time we need to tell the story and say, Hey, do you remember that time that calf kicked Bryson in the face and ran over him? And so if there's any other fun stories from our childhood, I guess we can kick those uh, yeah. maybe down the road. Cause well, the first time that whenever you're, you think that you're invincible and you learn that you're not against a weak old calf, that is always worth There's a lot of dates in these stories up. that 
are some gray areas that I think we're going to need to clear up here in the, the next overlay on this. Shane, we talked about the farming, the ranching, a little bit about your history, but I think people who found us here on YouTube, a ton of people found us on YouTube from your bee videos. So Shane is our resident bee expert here at the ranch. Mm -hmm. So Shane, give us, give us the whole rundown on the bees. So I guess let's start with how did you first uh, get interested in the bees and what kind of prompted you to get started and then how did you get started? Good question. Um, it's not really, I don't know one thing that did it. Um, I will preference it with saying that I know most bee people are weird, but I'm not weird. Yeah, we can clear the air with that. Or different. Um, but it's, I remember as a kid, we had this big oak tree that was two, three foot in diameter in the front yard. And I remember this, this old man, and I have to get the name from dad. We would have bees that just swarmed and would land on the basketball goal or a small tree to the side. And dad would call this guy out and he would come in a pickup and he would have a, a trash can and a, look like a sheet sewn together. And he would put it underneath there and shake the bees. They'd all fall in it. And then he'd say, okay, no problem. Call me next time it happens. And we did that several, enough that I remember. And we eventually learned it was inside. They were being generated from that oak tree. That's where they, they lived and would... Um, spread out from is what now I know. But so between that and then a couple years ago, we had this water meter that kept bees kept living there and would be produce honey. And we'd call this guy to come out and get it. And he would like say, check this out. And he'd give us some of the honey. And I'm like, that is so cool. So that summer, which was four years ago or three years ago, I would, um, I would head to Colorado and you need 12 hours of something to do if you can get out of driving going to Colorado. So I spent 10 hours of on YouTube Googling beekeeping and, and everything. And I don't know how many hours I logged on that trip. But I learned enough that I was very interested in bees. So I came back and that was during July. And you, and you get bees in April or May is where you get them. So I had to keep going through YouTube videos until I bought the first 12 hives in of three years ago. And those 12, I turned into 24. And I thought, man, this is so cool. Uh, the next year, I turned those 24 into 30 to 40. And at that point, I had to change. Because in the beginning, when you have 12, you're like, I can look at everyone and do all this stuff. And because we're short time and everything between family, work, everything, I had to start managing them as a whole instead of each individual hive. This is Marley. If y'all haven't met Marley, Marley was, um, it wasn't, it was my daughter's dog and wife's dog, but I seem to spend most of the time with Marley now. And so Marley loves attention. Nope, sit down. Nope, sit down. But back to the story is, uh, I started managing them as one whole unit instead of an individual hive. So 
The problem is, and Bryson's going to ask it because he hears it and he promotes it, is my wife always, her concern is not the, the work or how many times you get stung or what you had to do today with the bees. She just wants a jar of honey so she can have a jar of honey. And it's like just, like most just say, where's the honey? There's none of the, oh, what did it take to get it? But the problem is I've had bees for three years now. So that means I've had to say for three years, we don't have honey yet. Um, and I explain it the same way every year, but it's, it's worth repeating here. So maybe we can reference this video next year if we have to. So I, I've, you, in bees, they can either propagate and split and make more bees it's unique how they do it. Or if they're left alone to their own devices, they know they need to store up for the, to make it through the winter. Right. I think, so clarify on that for people, because I, I think a lot of people don't know what is honey to the bees. Why do bees make honey? Because I, I think a lot of people think bees make honey for us, but why are bees making honey in general? Bees have this ability to grab nectar uh, out of every plant or bloom that there is, most of them, and they turn it into, uh, they add their enzymes and they throw it in this cone that they build and it's dried out so that they, their whole purpose is to plan for the winter. They know it's coming. Uh, they know how much they need. They'll downsize to fit their food sources, but their whole goal is to get food for the winter. So what humans have learned to do is say, listen, you made 80 pounds or in Texas, maybe 40 pounds. We're going to leave you 20. We're going to take 20 or you take most of it and you feed them a supplement, sugar, a winter candy, or people do all kinds of stuff. But you take what they thought they were going to use for the winter and use it for yourself and give them something to make it through the winter. So I guess there's a two sides of the coin, right? You can either let the hives, you, you call it splitting, right? So I think there's a process where you go in there and you can, they can either make a queen or you can give them a new queen. Is that right? Right. So you can either split the hives with the hopes of one day having more hives that produce honey, mm -hmm. or you can, I guess you could call it putting those hives into service for honey, right? Right. And so what you've chosen to do over the last three years is three. to get your overall number of hives to a place where when you decide it's time to do honey, that you still have some hives that can be split with a decent amount of honey production. That's correct. So are you going to send people the video of me saying that when, when they ask where the honey is? Yes. That's so, the easiest thing. What's really funny is we make the videos about the honey and the bees. Uh, we make them across all of social media and on YouTube. Most people probably don't know because they see my bee videos. My two greatest fears in life is sharks and like any kind of flying, stinging insect. So for the longest time, and it, it, we're talking irrational fears. Like you will not find me in water where I can't see my toes and flying, stinging things. I'm probably going to run and not be involved. But you, it's really cool. The bees are a, 
it's fascinating, I guess, how advanced they are. I think a lot of people think of them as, as bugs, flies, mm-hmm. things like that. But the level of sophistication to see those bees create that comb. I mean, they'll create comb so perfect that you couldn't take a pencil and draw it at mm-hmm. the level of precision that they do. So it's, it's really fascinating. And then you talk, you listen to Shane talk about how they know if they lose a queen, they can make a new queen. And, and there's all these different roles within the hive. It's really, really cool to see. Mm-hmm. So I guess tell everybody what the hardest part of getting into that was and maybe what you've learned. And then for the aspiring at-home beekeepers out there, give them Shane's word of wisdom. Aside from don't, we'll skip that one. And we'll just say, assuming that they made it over that threshold, what are, what are the words of wisdom you have for the aspiring beekeepers? If you watch YouTube, and there's a lot of guys that cater to the beginner, and every one of them across the board says, just do it. Because you can read, you can study, and you can do all this stuff. You just doing it and learning, because we're all going to mess up. Experience is experience is invaluable. You can't get past it. And to get experience, you're going to mess up, no matter what you do. So you, you buy a couple hives, you get two to compare, or three to compare, and you may mess up the first time. Find somebody that can mentor you. You can ask questions if you're not sure, um, or really YouTube. You can learn anything off of YouTube nowadays. So um, get the basics off of it or find somebody that's willing to answer questions a couple times a week and just get started in it. And you're going to learn. I've done stuff that I thought this is a great idea and I'm short 10 hives now and I'm like, well, that wasn't such of a great idea. Uh, but the only way you're is going to learn that and realize you can graft or you can split your own hives is just doing it. Yeah, and it's a lot more work, I think, than a lot of people want to sign up for, right? It is. Your back is going to be yeah. sore. If you, I've talked to a guy that does a lot of honey. He uses, uh, they're called the hives that are horizontal hives that are chest high. They're making them now. There's a couple guys on the internet that are, they build them to sell, but you're not lifting boxes that are at ground level over and over. It's a simple door. Somebody will comment and say, my gosh, he didn't know it. It's called this. But I've seen those hives, and I think that is a way to go forward if you're old like me and your back is broke down. uh, That You're not lifting boxes over and over. Yeah, that's one of the things when when I volunteer to go video, um, I try to do at least one or two things so I can video myself helping because I don't like to just video myself standing out there with a camera. But uh, everything you do is you're bending over and just trying to, you know, you're picking up the box, you're pulling out a frame, you're putting patties in. It's just, so I think that could use some improvements. Um, But the bees are really fascinating. And I guess if all the people who have a, you know, backlog orders of honey from you. If we have a surplus of honey, that would be cool to be able to offer that here with everything else we do. Um, yeah, we may get there. We may not, but the, the videos, especially on YouTube, I think, I think a lot of people are interested in bees. So they do really well on YouTube. Anytime we post anything about the bees, there's a lot of guys that make a good living off of YouTube and their bees at the side. So 
There's an interest in it. It's that nerd that comes out in all of us, I think. And so you, you made a point about the bees that I'm going to transition us into the beef, right? And so you said that uh, we all have to be able to change and adapt, right? You learned things that worked, things that didn't work. And I can't think of a, a maybe if this was an email about the beef company, I think that would be our subject line, right? The learning what works and what doesn't. Because we built this business, we built a shipping business. Where I mean, we changed something every day for about three months, trying to find the perfect combination of, of our shipping box build, our dry ice, something, right? And I wanted to reference a quote of something you said earlier, and I've heard this said before, but Sometimes the most dangerous or the most expensive words that you can say in agriculture or in anything or are, well, that's the way we've always done it. So we've had to take a look at that from the beef side, from the cattle side, and really focus on that as we transitioned over to a beef company from cow-calf producers. So give us your uh, perception, your take on the beef, uh, and maybe what you thought when we started trying to figure this out? Oh, a lot of learning. So you, you look at what Brian and I have done. We, we've had uh, commercial cattle since we were early teens. Uh, a lot, not all of our income strictly came from the commercial cow aspect back then, but it was a percent of it. We learned a lot and we learned what not to do. We took from Papa and Dad. If we still did things the way that Papa and Dad did it, we would be in trouble nowadays. Uh, you, you, you learn how to get more out of what you have. Uh, Brian and I, in the beginning, when Bryson was still uh, trying to drive a truck and driving a tractor at midnight, we're trying... Everything from the, we tried to go to yearlings, we tried preconditioned sell, we tried controlling our inputs the most we could on our side, but anybody that does cattle nowadays know that all inputs have risen by, what'd you say, what percent? I mean, tripled, quadrupled, maybe 5x what it used to be. And when you're selling a product that you or at the mercy of the market, or if, if you dumb it down and say the cattle sell for that week, you're, you put a lot of investment in something that you're at somebody else's mercy. You can't say, I need 450 a pound this week for my cows. You take it and you hope that you get it. So we've tried different things to control what we've built and probably the best idea that Bryson came up with is um, Brian and I understand raising the cows and Brian is pretty much our manager for all of that. He decides what cows go to what pasture, what bulls get moved here, when, and he shows where most people show up to work that next day. What Brian and I have no experience at is shipping, internet, numbers, in a computer. Uh, Bryson, that's how his mind works. So he put together 
this plan of let's take it to a whole other level. What y'all have put so much energy into, I have a way to control the price, and it's basically by skipping how many people out of the middle that that at one time and still do make a good living off of Brian and I's hours and sweat and investment. Yeah, yeah. For every, um, you know, essentially, you know, I'd say probably two to three stops at least. If you factor in the supermarkets, could go four to five stops. But every piece along that supply chain, those people are are taking a cut or marking it up. But you know who hasn't changed anything over the last 15, 20 years is, yeah, uh, you know, 2008, 2009, we were selling 900-pound yearlings for $1.10, mm-hmm. And So you take those now. I mean, granted, this year is a bit of an anomaly. But if you were to sell those 900-pound calves on a, an average year, you're talking – and we were happy five years ago to get a dollar sixty-five, a dollar seventy. When for we a, broke a dollar, that yeah, was a big deal for for a, a calf that you have not only time, two years of time into, but you also have two years of inputs into to get them to that weight. For your prices to go up fifty, sixty cents over the course of twenty years, like you said, diesel is up, everything's up. Um, the farmers and the ranchers took the brunt of that for years. So I think the you know, the last few years with everything that's happened in our country and, and people, I think people seeing grocery store shelves be empty uh, opened a door in a lot of people's mind to really start to think about where their food's coming from. Because I don't think most people thought that the grocery store could run out of food. So you had a couple different camps. You had people who were just scared of food scarcity. Like, is there going to be food? But then you had people to really start questioning, well, how is that even possible to, to run out of food. So I think that got the wheels turning for a lot of people to really focus on where their food and in our case, their beef comes from. So there's a huge movement right now. And what we like to tell people is, you know, we post these videos on the internet every day. Uh, it's either five or seven videos a day, plus the YouTube, plus the longer form content of just giving people confidence that they know where their, their beef is coming from what went into it, and who was a part of it. And that's what we try to offer here, and we have a lot of customers that resonate with that. So the ranching part, like you said, has we're only changing the, the end 25% of our operation. We still have cows and bulls and, and things that we have to do as ranchers. We've just, I guess, added uh, a couple steps in there. So it brings up a good point. I think at the beginning, you and I kind of, it was this blue ocean, and we didn't even know what we didn't know. We would solve one problem. I think it's like the illustration of the guy in the boat with all the holes, and he would put his finger in this hole, and it would stop leaking, and then there'd be a hole. And before you knew it, so there was so much that we didn't know, but we spent basically from April until August testing box designs, insulations, different combinations of insulation materials, trying to get where we could ship. And I think it took us maybe what, 15 or 20 different combinations and then two or three full week-long test runs with those before we came up with our packaging. We have now our triple insulated boxes. Um, But tell us maybe some of the coolest things as we've switched to this beef company, what are some of the coolest things that you've realized or learned or that we've had to figure out here? Oh, yeah. It's being willing to jump in and Marley, let's sit down right here so I can see you. Sit down. There you go. That's perfect right there. It's being willing to say, 
one, have a mind that you're thinking, let's try this, and everything's trial and error, and really, whatever you do. I mean, I've, we we thought this box would work, and we would mail it to friends, and then realize that box wouldn't work, and then we thought we had this perfect idea. We had it down to a, the 12 by 18. Was it 12 by 18, 12 by 16? We had 12 by 12 and 12 by 16 boxes, and we thought they were we ready were to go. packing geniuses. So we had, um, we had them stacked everywhere, and then the first day that we built up to, I don't know how many orders we had. Do you remember We had, a, we had oh, over 150 beef orders to send out on our, our shipping rollout. And like you said, we had boxes lining every inch of this office. I mean, there was a 18-inch walkway to get into and out of the office and into the warehouse. And we thought we had it all figured out. We had everybody's packing slips already on there. It was going to be that simple. That was a bad idea, by the way. Yeah, it was a really bad idea um, because we were looking at this insurmountable amount of boxes to ship. We get to the first or second box, and I'm I'm getting ready to print labels, and I just hear them from packing, and I, they said, uh, "Guys, I don't think this is gonna fit." And we said, well, "Hold on, we'll maybe try the next one." We went to the next one, and said, "Guys, I don't think this is gonna fit." And sure enough, the all the boxes that we built, all of the labels that we had pre-done. Um, it didn't work. It was a bad idea. The problem was in when we put our components together, dry ice, right? The amount of dry ice that it was taken at that time in this this summer's, what, average 107 degree, yeah, 109? Yeah, we, we ran north of 110 for... Was a lot months. more dry ice than was average and, and what we thought would work. Yeah. So you take that box with an extra seven, eight pounds of dry ice to get yeah. our product there, it, it didn't quit quite all fit. And we learned a lot. And But I will have to say, with that hiccup that we dealt with, our our error percent that first week was what? I think it was in the single digits, low single digits, even with that. And that day was hectic. We We showed up, I think, at six that morning. We had our dry ice from a few days earlier. We went and got it, so we had it in those totes. We showed up at 6, and I think we shipped for 12 hours, 10 hours. It was a long day. We shipped 90-something orders, and the first day ran out of, because we had to completely rebuild boxes. I mean, we were shuffling. People were everywhere. People were taking off to go buy more materials for our boxes. So then we got back here the next day at, I think, 3 a.m., and... We're starting on it again. I think it took us maybe six or eight hours that day to get all of them out the door. But we learned a lot. We learned that it's all kind of a sliding scale because the farther you ship in the box, the more dry ice you have to have, the less room you have in the box. So a bunch of really interesting lessons on the shipping front. Fascinating for us to see, um, you know, get to see the different cuts of meat and understand the questions. We we love the questions that people ask. People ask not only about our ranch, but people ask me like very butcher type questions. And at the beginning, you know, I'd say, hey, look, here, sit down. I don't have that answer for you, but I'll get it for you. And, you know, now we've, we have to be able to explain our product to our customers. So I think that's been cool for me to learn the different cuts and the questions that people ask that are beef specific that I, I didn't know I would have to be prepared for. I didn't know people would have. 
So really cool for us. Um, but I think the dry ice was the biggest thing that you and I worked together to figure out that combination and getting that to work. But now we have that, I don't want to say we have it figured out, but we've ran several weeks of a 0% failure rate on our boxes. So that shipping day is much easier now. Shipping day was chaotic and traumatic and a bunch of other words that you could say to describe it. And now I remember the first day thinking, man, is this going to be every Monday from now on? Because I don't know if we can all do this. Um, but now we show up and we can ship 40 boxes in what used to take us eight hours, seven hours. Mm -hmm. We can ship in two and a half hours now just because everybody knows their role. Everybody is very good at what they do and there's not a lot of stepping on toes. Right. Everybody's at first, what we thought would be, uh, most of the time is you, you get good at that job and that's not necessarily the issue. It's, it's something else. I mean, everybody has their own what they're good at or interested in on ship day. And Bryson does the computer and the numbers part of it. Brian, his job is simple. All we do is ask him is to know what a roast is and get a roast out of the fridge and then know what a steak is. And then it moves on to, uh, I meet, I do my job on the side and the boxes with the right amount of ice meet Aaron. And then Aaron throws it together, double checks, and then it goes to mail, and that's usually where the backlog is. Shots is, fired here in the podcast. Is um once it hits her desk, and she's getting better at it. She's um she has a learning curve, but yeah, yeah, it's really cool. We'll we'll make a video on here, and maybe following a stake or something through the entire process. I think that would be cool for us to do a video on because uh, it really is. It's everybody. There's not a lot of stopping. Right, we've we've almost got it down now. Where this feeds into this, feeds into this, feeds into this, till it gets out the door. So before I get in trouble on the mail comment, I owed her that for something. I'm sure. So we're gonna fact check that, and we'll put the put a little disclaimer box right here. Um, something but, I did learn is what's the new thing called? Yeah, this is AI generated. AI generated this with a couple descriptions. And that's fascinating and scary at the same time. Yeah. So they talk about stuff that here's one fact for you is that no matter how good chat GPT and Dolly and AI get at generating podcast art, I don't think they're going to generate any beef for you. So you're still going to have to find a, a beef producer and supplier that you can trust. But good if point. they figure that out, we may have to, we may have to figure something good else point. out different. But um, Shane, any closing remarks, things that, uh, wrap up the beef company. Um, and I guess the same question I asked Rob is as we continue to grow this beef company, what are some of the cooler directions or, or ventures or avenues that you would like to see us have on that? Um, I know right now we work with a couple local restaurants, uh, or at least one specifically, we're working on a few more, but what are, I guess, what avenue would you like to see this in an ideal world? Where would you like to see the beef company, uh, end up or grow to or venture out into? In an effort to give credit where it is, and to be honest, is Brian and I are almost 50. So when he asks for new avenues, we're not very talkative when it comes to that. Bryson's mind and his age is at a time where he would start a new avenue every day if he could. So fortunately, our combination works well for us because Brian and I are trying to make things simple. 
and Bryson wants to run full steam ahead. So somewhere in the middle, it all works out to what I think is an even mix. Um, I think that we, we, we're getting, you come up with a lot of good avenues, new ideas, we'll kick it around and then we'll pick something that works, start planning, and it may be months off, but we work towards it. He does good. So the next thing that you see come out of a new idea, it wasn't Brian and I. It's going to be him. Well, I think the coolest project maybe that we have going right now is this podcast. And what was really cool for me last week when I was editing this and getting it ready to watch up, uh, my little girl was walking through there and I had to go up there and she stopped and was pointing because she saw uh, me and Rob on there talking. So one of the things I keep in mind as we're filming all this and creating content and media here is <clears throat> how cool would it be for us if we had videos of Rob and Papa back in the day talking about how things were then and maybe the history from then. So this is as much for the business and, and talking to our customers as it is for creating a, a documentary that maybe the fifth, sixth, seventh generations here um, will get to watch and think is really cool. So we keep making content, making media um, because our customers like to see everything that goes on here at the beef company. Um, we look at ourselves as a media company that sells beef. So that involves making videos every day, making content for you guys here on the internet. Every day. Every day. We're going to have Shane on the podcast every day. Maybe you're our co-host and we have guests. I vote Rob is much better. Dad is much better at it than the rest of us. Any closing remarks here on the podcast? Uh, I would just like to thank y'all for your support and uh, believing in us and then trusting us to uh, let us supply your family with uh, what you needed. Yeah. So guys, thank you very much for checking out this episode. And like Shane just said there, I want to thank you for inviting us to have a seat at your table. Uh, we know that you have a choice in the food that you provide for your family, and we're just glad that we can have a chance to, uh, to be a part of that. So we will see you guys next week, and we'll hopefully have another fun and exciting guest for you.